If you ever get arrested for anything, anywhere, at any time, may your lawyer be half the badass that Lord John Gray is. Because damn... Hi, and welcome to Sex and Whiskey. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we're here today to talk about Eye of the Storm, the 13th episode of Season 3. Eye of the Storm aired on December 10th, 2017, and was written by Tony Graffia and Matthew B. Roberts, and directed by Matthew B. Roberts, who makes his directorial debut with this episode. Book three in the Outlander series, Voyager, is a wild, bumpy, off-roading, car-on-two-wheels narrative experience, and adapting that into 13 episodes of television has been a fascinating, if sometimes white-knuckled, experience. There is nothing easy about this season's story. It is at times wonderful and at times baffling. There are wildly heightened romantic moments and head-shaking, did that really just happen? Moments. It is heartbreaking, heart-healing, adventurous, insane, challenging, and fun. One thing it never is, though, is boring. And that ain't nothing. All right, let's go through the stones. In Eye of the Storm, we open with Claire's apparent death by drowning in a peaceful blue sea. I was dead. Then we flash to white and we're in the carriage with Claire as she races through the night trying to get to Galus and Rose Hall, but is interrupted by a procession of the escaped slaves with torches, humming ominously as they make their way to wherever they're going. Why are we stopping? At Rose Hall, Galus is interrogating young Ian when a captured Claire is brought to her, and her interrogation starts anew as she tries to discover what Claire knows and what she wants. To prove her story, Claire shows Galus the pictures of Brianna. The 200-year-old baby. Imagine that. Meanwhile, Lord John Gray takes Jamie into his custody and then slams down the full power of British procedural jurisprudence to slap away Captain Leonard like an annoying, inappropriately promoted fly. You don't have the warrant. Then what do you have, Lieutenant Leonard? With the knowledge she needs to achieve her goal, Galus tries to convince Claire of her friendship and then locks Claire up in a room. Claire sees slaves carrying a struggling young Ian away right as Jamie breaks into the room and they rush out in the direction young Ian was taken. They crawl through a field of sugarcane toward the sounds of drums and find a ceremony already in progress. They are discovered as interlopers, but Yi Tian Cho comes to their rescue and updates them on his recent romantic adventures. She's the first woman to truly see me, the man that I am, and... I see her. Yi Tian Cho brings them to Margaret, who uses her gifts to speak to Jamie and Claire of their years apart, and then channels Brianna to send them a message about a monster and... Abandoning! Archie Campbell arrives to grab Margaret and deliver all the necessary exposition, giving Jamie and Claire all the puzzle pieces they need to realize that Galus is after Brianna. She thinks Brianna's the 200-year-old baby. Archie gets grabby with Margaret, and Yi Tian Cho kills him to protect her. Claire and Jamie ask for directions to a bondaway, and despite a dire warning, they make their way through the sugar cane to the cave. The boy there, he died. You follow. You die. They find Galus near a portal to the past, with a beaten young Ian all trussed up to be the blood sacrifice for her travel to the future, where she plans to kill Brianna. 
A fight ensues and Claire takes care of business. This is God's will. They escape with young Ian and get on the Artemis to go back to Scotland. Jamie and Claire have sex and then the ship is overtaken by a storm. Claire is knocked off the ship and into the sea. Jamie dives in after her and pulls her to the surface, where he situates his dead wife onto floating flotsam in the calm eye of the storm. If you die here now, I swear I'll kill you. They wash up on a beach where Claire turns out to be alive after all. They learn that the Artemis is beached up four miles away, that there are survivors, and that they've landed in America. We closed last week's episode with a cliffhanger, which is not my favorite narrative device, as you all know, but I've made my peace with Outlander's near constant use of it. And then we open this week's episode with a fractured tease, which is my absolute least favorite narrative device. I told you why cliffhangers deserve a severe side eye. Let's take a moment to talk about the fractured tease. When we cut a slice from later in the story from a highly dramatic and exciting moment and drop it into the beginning of the story, we are starting with a bang, which writing teachers far and wide have been telling writers to do for ages. And it's not great advice. I mean, no argument. You want to start your story with something interesting, something to intrigue your audience, get them excited, get them wondering what's going to happen next. That's fine. And even the fractured tease, done right, done deliberately and thoughtfully, can be okay. For example, Breaking Bad would open almost every episode with a fractured tease. But instead of borrowing from the height of the action, they would usually borrow from a calmer, quieter moment that would speak to the theme and purpose of that episode's story, and would serve to set the tone and focus the storytelling. Breaking Bad used the fractured tease to its best possible use. But most often, when a fractured tease is the method by which a writer puts a bang at the beginning, it's a cheap ploy and betrays a fundamental insecurity in the writing. It sends a message. Hey, you know and I know that this story isn't going to be good enough to hold your interest, so I'm going to tease what's to come to keep you glued to the television because you're going to want to know how we get to there from here. Narratively, you're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, borrowing from the exciting part to gin up the less exciting part. And if that's all you're doing, making us gasp and worry that our main character is actually going to drown, which we know damn fine she isn't, then you're just playing games, not telling a story. And the thing is, we ended last week on a cliffhanger. You already have an exciting start. You already parked on a downhill slope. The fractured tease is an unnecessary delay of a story we've been waiting a week to see. What happens now that Jamie's been arrested and is on his way, surely, to the gallows? Usually the fractured tease comes from the climax, the big moment of excitement that your story is building up to. In this case, it's coming from the epilogue, the setup for the next bit of story to come. And this moment with Claire drowning and saying, I was dead, is not even necessary to that part of the story. For an episode that is already in the middle of a heightened part of the storytelling, this is just a cheap play for gasps. And no one thinks you guys are actually going to drown Claire, y'all. This is not Game of Thrones. Okay, life for a life, sweet Claire. I saved you from the pyre after the witch trial. You owe me a life. I gotta tell you guys, this is going to be a short episode of Sex and Whiskey because aside from the fractured tease, I don't even know how to begin talking about Eye of the Storm. I mean, pulling back the curtain a little bit here at Chipperish Media, I have never, ever, in all the years I've been doing this work, stared at a blank page while writing a script and thought, 
what the hell am I going to say about this? I mean, I've used the words fever dream before quite a bit in the second half of the season, and I kind of wish I hadn't because this is a fever dream. All right, let's see what we can pull together here. For the second half of the season, our protagonist's motivating goal has been finding and rescuing young Ian. While in pursuit of that, a lot of other little adventures happened along the way, some relevant, some not. But now that we're in our big finale, this is when all the parts need to come together, taking all the narrative momentum we built up over the season and charging it into the climax, where the central conflict is resolved and we end up with a story finished and understood. What we have in Eye of the Storm is a lot of flying pieces of story kind of swirling around each other, some crashing into each other as they pass, others just whiffing by and disappearing without much notice. I believe I even saw a young girl and a dog in a house being taunted by a cackling green-faced woman on a broom. So yes, they do find and rescue young Ian. Yes, Gateless is ultimately defeated. Yes, Jamie and Claire end the season together and ready to face a new adventure. But everything that happens in between? Claire's being locked up in Galus's house, Jamie's arrest, Yitian Cho and Margaret, Archie Campbell's death, the wild slave ceremony around the fire, the big fight with Galus, the storm on the high seas, Claire's apparent death, landing on the beach in Georgia with everyone we care about still alive. It's all just noise. Jamie gets arrested, but is instantly freed by Lord John Gray. I mean, that's cool and everything, and dare I say it's the best scene in the episode when Lord John Gray delivers a policies and procedures smackdown on Captain Leonard. Your authority ends at the water's edge, which is precisely where my authority begins. And until such time as I am satisfied as to the validity of this alleged warrant, this man will retain his liberty. Your Excellency. Thank you, Lieutenant Leonard. But in the end... All this sturm and drang we've been going through about Jamie being arrested and surely hanged, it was just nothing. It was a big enough problem for Claire to jump off a ship in the middle of the ocean to prevent, but not so big a problem that Jamie took any pains to not be arrested once he actually got to Jamaica. And then he gets arrested, right? Claire leaves a note for Fergus and Marsley before going off to Rose Hall. They find it, they tell Lord John, and this big dramatic thing that we've been so afraid of all along no big deal. Claire goes to Rose Hall and meets with Galus, and Galus is crazy, but then pretends to be her friend, but then locks her up in a room with a window facing a path where young Ian is being carried away struggling, and oh no, Claire's locked in a room and someone's trying to get in, but it's Jamie, so no big deal. Then we're off through the sugarcane to watch this ceremony where we have all these dancers around a fire, apparently only to serve as a backdrop to whatever the hell is going on with the white people, and while there, we take a little time very little time, to celebrate the instantaneous but undying love between Yi Tian Cho and Margaret Campbell, and we get this dismissive piece of nonsense. We wish to be together. After tonight, we will go to Martinique. Make a home there. Have you seen Ian? This is supposedly Jamie's friend who just told him he's met the love of his life and is about to get married. And Jamie's like, that's great, dude. But we've only got 15 minutes left in the episode. Then we get Margaret Campbell going into a trance and directly addressing the rabbits and birds thing, even though the purpose of subtext is to have it as subtext. And then she's suddenly Brianna and the monster is coming and... Abandoning. Then Archie Campbell comes for Margaret, and Yitian Cho does the wild head snap to kill the guy, as though this is an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and why? I mean, Archie was kind of a shit, 
But you've got a whole community of people here who are supposedly their buddies. A couple of these guys couldn't have just pulled him off Margaret and escorted him off the property. Except those people aren't people, of course. They're backdrop. Convenient for when you need to exoticize the savages or Jamie needs directions and a torch, but not actual people with real human reasoning skills or anything. The moment when Claire sees the connection between the dancers at the fire and the dancers at the stones does a little something to forge a human connection between the people we care about, you know, the white people, and the people we have for the exotic backdrop, the black people. But it doesn't do near enough. So we get to the fight in the cave, and it's like a big plate of poutine where the french fries are insanity and the gravy is more insanity. There's a portal there and a prophecy, and Claire owes Galas a life, and Galas wants to go 200 years in the future to kill Brianna so that a Scot can sit on the throne, and... What? All right, so we behead Galas, and then we run out of the cave, and we have this lovely, wonderful, brief moment of connection between Jamie and Claire and young Ian. But first, I must hold you both. And then we're in the ship, and Jamie and Claire spend just forever having sex. And that's all sweet and everything, but it's not a narrative beat. Then there's a storm, and Claire's dead. She's drowned, but then they're on the beach, and Claire's alive, but everyone else is dead. Except they're not dead, because the ship landed four miles down the beach, and now we're in America, and Bob's your uncle. That's the season. And all I'm thinking is, I've got a job to do here, people. Give me something I can talk about. But there's nothing. There's just insanity poutine. What I can say at this point is... Game changer. We're in America now. We've made our full transition from old Outlander to new Outlander, and it was a bumpy-ass ride, but hey, we're here. And I am both frightened and fascinated for what's to come. All right, that'll do it for today, and that's it for Season 3 of Outlander. Thanks so much for joining me for this wild ride, and I hope that you'll find your way to Chipperish Media for the other shows I'm doing, talking about stories and storytelling. There are worse ways to distract yourself during Droughtlander. Slange bye. Sex and Whiskey is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by passionate story lovers like you. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you can become a Chipperish Media supporter.